Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. These are the Chronicles of Dominic Carter on 77 WABC. And we are back. How should prosecutors deal with certain crimes? My guest right now is Andre Ward. Mr. Ward did 16 years in a New York State prison in the uh, 1990s. And he could have never imagined that he would serve on an expert panel alongside prosecutors, defense attorneys, advocates, and public health officials in an effort to reform how prosecutors deal with these crimes. But years later, that is exactly what happened. Now, this is somewhat of a different perspective. It's important that we hear the voices. Mr. Ward is with the Fortune Society, a reentry program from incarceration. He's lectured at Columbia University, and he joins us right now. Good morning to you, Mr. Ward. Thank you so much for having me, Dominic. Really appreciate that. So before we get into the nitty gritty, if you will, of what you're working on, tell me about your background, because you have a very interesting background. And and I like to put it this way. We all fall down in life. The question is, do you get back up? And so you've come through the school of hard knocks. And on the other side, you're shining and helping others. Tell me about your background. Yeah, and I think one of the key things, Dominic, that you mentioned in your opening statement is that we get back up. And society, in large measure, um, we are really appealing to to honor that, allow people to get back up. But I served 16 years of incarceration um, owing to drug trafficking and my involvement in the shootout, which resulted in someone's life being taken, for which I'm very, very deeply remorseful for. And as a result of that awareness and sensitivity about the sacredness of human life, I really embarked on a journey of self-discovery, self-development, and a commitment to living a life of contribution. So when I was released in 2009, that's exactly what I did. I came home. I began to go to school. I began to work and meet so many advocates in the world to help change other people's thinking who are incarcerated and coming home and also change society's perception of those people returning from prison and jails. Okay, so explain this to me, Mr. Ward. How does one go from doing 16 years in New York State prison in the uh, 1990s? Uh, At the time, I believe you were 20 years old, a high school dropout. And how does one go from that situation to serving on an expert panel, as you have, alongside prosecutors, defense attorneys, advocates, and public health officials in an effort to reform how prosecutors deal with certain crimes like drug crimes. How does go from one go from the extreme where you started at to where you are now? Well, it really just started with just this whole self-discovery um, kind of experience that I had for myself. I realized intuitively that it was important for me to live the best of who I was raised to be as 
is the case with many, many people that are incarcerated in jails and prisons. But oftentimes, um, because of the conditions and the environment in which they were raised, it's driven oftentimes by things like institutional racism. People um, don't have the opportunity to demonstrate the best of themselves and become ensnared or entangled in the criminal legal system. So I began to just reflect on myself, um, what I had done, the harm that I had caused my community, and begin to work with other men who were incarcerated that were older, who mentored me, who helped me to understand the world vis-a-vis my relationship to it and the historical relationship um, to the world. And that really helped me grow in really, really large ways. Um, in the prisons, I didn't necessarily grow from programs there because the system itself, at least from my vantage point, um, does not offer the support of programming to really help transform human beings. But it was through my own initiatives, coupled with working with others, that helped me change my life. So what exactly, I'm going to get into the specifics, but for folks that are unaware of what the Fortune Society does, what exactly is it? Yeah, and so the Fortune Society has been around for over 50 years, and it was founded by David Rothenberg, who is the organization obviously is founder of and, and Fortune Society was named after a play that David had created because he had been a widely known playwright and had been involved in the arts and the theater and had come in contact with people who had been impacted by the criminal legal system that were incarcerated at the time in the 70s. This is during the Attica experience, etc. And hearing the stories of the men and how they had been horribly and unspeakably been abused um, by correctional officers, etc., he created a play called Fortune in Men's Eyes. And it's through that work, which was the first kind of like step in the advocacy direction that Fortune began to go in, Fortune was created. Almost 30 years now, from today now, 30-so years, our CEO, Joanne Page, has been heading the organization and has brought it from an organization with two or three staff to nearly 300-plus staff. And so we have our advocacy work that we do that started with our founder, David Rothenberg, and now we have grown to an organization of 300 staff offering services in 12 domains, ranging from substance use treatment to alternatives to incarceration, mental health services, education, employment services, family services, um, housing, um, just many services in 12 areas to support the people who come through our doors, which is almost 9,000 people annually. And that work has been informed by the very people we serve as they came to us in the early days of Fortune and said, we need to have substance use needs. We have mental health needs. We need employment. We need housing. And they helped inform and shape the work of Fortune. Okay, so let's get to the actual details of what you're trying to do. So we are chatting right now with Andre Ward. Mr. Ward uh, did 16 years in prison, but now his redemption. He was part of a group at John Jay College that produced a document called A New Approach, Prosecutor's Guide to Advancing a Public Health Response to drug use. What was the goal of that report? Yeah, Dominic, you know, the goal really, or the central goal was really to provide practical advice to prosecutors and how they can use their discretion in a way that promotes public health. 
We know that the traditional ways in which prosecutors have engaged people with substance use history has been adversarial, has been punitive, and hadn't looked at the sum total of the human being and all of their experience which shape their lives that is a major contributor to the use in substances to begin with. Okay, but for someone like me, a law and order guy, in fact, like most of our listeners right now, what has been wrong with the prosecutor's traditional approach to drug cases? Yeah, again, Dominic, the relationship between prosecutor and defendant in many instances is adversarial. And prosecutors, particularly in drug courts, have not been able to look at the person holistically from a traditional and historical perspective, which means, of course, a person is caught using drugs, is apprehended and put in jail or goes before the judge or their possession of drugs, right? You're sentencing people. And obviously with the draconian laws in the 80s um, with crack cocaine, etc., it increased tremendously the amount of people that were in jails and prisons particularly in the 90s on Rikers Island, there were 20,000 people on Rikers Island, and many of whom had been swept up during the time of the crack cocaine epidemic. And so the prosecutor's relationship with defendants have been adversarial, just lock them up, throw away the key. And in this guide, it's really looking at how we can stimulate creativity among prosecutors and inspire them to chart a more promising course of U.S. drug policy. And that's by looking at the sum total of the human being, bringing other stakeholders in, like social workers, like service providers from different organizations, like family members, right, to begin to understand the human being holistically so that you can develop a different approach and an alternative to just putting someone in jail and locking them away and throwing away the key. Mr. Ward, I have a lot of respect for you because um, I, I see things, particularly when you look at the headlines across the country in the last month or two, there seems to be a growing movement to return to our old bail system. And, and you argue just the opposite. Why are you encouraging, or, or this panel, why are you folks encouraging prosecutors to limit the use of cash bail and mandatory sentencing structures? Because when we look at cash bail, oftentimes the defendants who come before prosecutors and judges are indigent, they're poor, they're black, they're brown, and they don't have money oftentimes. And right now there's a huge push to roll back bail reform. And that obviously is damaging and alarming. And a lot of this notion to roll back bail reform is a function of fear-mongering over fact. And I just want to state just some facts, uh, Dominic, relative to bail reform, because of the 11,000 people who released on bail in 2020, 2021, less than 1% were involved in any kind of shooting. And of that 1%, half were either victims, bystanders, or witnesses of shootings. But unfortunately, Dominic, the media sensationalizes individual cases and attributes an individual isolated case to everyone. And so when we talk about the use of cash bail, it's not overlooking whatever offense someone may have been alleged to have committed as it relates to their substance use or dependency, but it's more of being smart 
and not using bail reform as a scapegoat. I, I hear you, Mr. Ward, but I but I do have to uh, conclude the interview at this point. I would like to have you back, Mr. Ward, if you can join us and call in on another day. It's just that I am now completely out of time. I thank you for joining us. Dominic Carter here with you, folks. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Have a beautiful weekend. Love each other. Love your family members. I will be back Monday night. Coming up right now, the best of Frank Morano. And that's, of course, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC.